0: All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're going to go from verse 5 to the end of the chapter. And so, let, um, let's let just read, we're only four verses away from reading the whole chapter. Let's just read together the the entire chapter, and then we're going to begin our journey this morning 1 Corinthians chapter 16 now concerning the collection for the saints as i have given others orders in the churches of galatia so you must do also on the first day of the week let each one of you lay up something lay something aside storing up as he may prosper and there be no that there be no collections when i come and when i come whomever you approve by your letters i will send to bear your gift to jerusalem but if it is fitting that i go also, they will go with me. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for the for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come with to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that that it was... I'm sorry, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaeus, that, <clears throat> that what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord and the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed, O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So in the ending of this letter, Paul uh, kind of, I want to say it this way. Paul brings everything together really in two things. He brings everything together in grace with love. And in verse 14, you see Paul writes, he says, Let all that you do be done with love. Let all that you do be done with love. And then in verse twenty-three, he says, "The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you." Now, Paul is writing this letter. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and he's going to make a he's going to make his trip by ship. So he's in Ephesus, which is on the tip of Turkey. And then then over here, well, as you're looking at it this way, here's Ephesus, and here's Turkey, or here's Greece. And he's going to go across, and he could very easily go around and and visit them in Corinth, but he's going to go by ship, and he's going to go down to Jerusalem. But he says, when I come back, I'll have more time, and I want to spend some time with you. And then he gives instruction in this letter for them until he is able to come and to be with them. So I want to to take the time today not to go through this verse by verse. There's there's a number of things here, but I want to touch on this theme of grace with love. Because really, I believe Paul brings this whole letter together uh, in these two truths, grace and love. And so I want you to see in terms of grace that Paul begins his letter with the grace of God He reminds them throughout this letter about the grace of God. And he ends his letter affirming to them again that it is God's grace. So Paul begins with grace. If we go back and we see that in the very beginning of this letter, we go to the very front in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So Paul begins this letter with the grace of God, reminding them that it was the grace of God that was given to us by Christ Jesus. And then in verses Uh, 10 of chapter 3 and in verse 10 of chapter 15, and we see kind of sandwiched in between chapter 3 and chapter 15 where Paul is dealing with these issues in the church uh, from the uh, divisions that exist in the church to the abuse of spiritual gifts. Um, He goes into talking to them about love, the fruit of the Spirit. If we don't have love, if we don't have the Spirit's fruit, we have nothing. He deals with the doctrine of the resurrection. And and so we see sandwiched between all of these great issues, Paul gives them this reminder that it is by the grace of God. In, In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. He says, It was according to the grace of God. It was by the grace of God that I was able to do this. It's by the grace of God that others are able to come in and build upon that which I have laid. And then in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says, But by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. He's talking about the other apostles. Yet not I. He said, yet yet it wasn't I who labored, but the grace of God which was with me. That's a really important statement. But the grace of God that was with me. I want you to understand today that you are able to do what you do, that you are able to be who you are in God's eyes by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. You are able to walk through this life in all things because of the grace that is with you. And so Paul is reminding this church that it is by the grace of God. So he begins with grace, he reminds them throughout that it is by grace, and he ends his letter with a plea for God's grace on their behalf. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Because Paul understands that apart from the grace of God, they can, he can, we can do nothing. Amen? And then... Look down at verse 14 of this chapter. Paul says, Let all that you do be done with love. So Paul teaches us in this letter, we go back to chapter 13. Paul teaches us in this letter that regardless of our gifting, regardless, remember he writes, even if I give my body to be burned, if I give all of my goods away for the poor, It doesn't matter what I do. If I do anything and have not love, I have nothing, it profits me nothing, I am nothing. So Paul teaches us in this letter that regardless of our gifting or regardless of what we may do without love, we have no profit and we are nothing. Now, where did Paul get this concept? Well, Paul got this teaching because through a revelation of truth and love in Jesus Christ. It was Jesus himself that taught us that all things are fulfilled in love. So in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, this is when one of the... Lawyers, one of the Pharisees comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, questioning him, testing him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these hangs all the law and the prophets. So Jesus said this is the fulfillment of all things, to love God and so to love God. One another. And so Jesus even gave a new commandment concerning love. In John thirteen, thirty four, and 35, Jesus said this, recorded in John's gospel, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So John 13, 34 and 35 is saying the exact same thing that Matthew 22, 37 through 40 is saying. In the Old Testament, it was recorded, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It was recorded, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says... This is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. This is the greatest commandment. In John's gospel, he said, let me, let me give it to you another way. It's a new commandment, but it's not a new commandment. It's the same commandment. It's an old commandment. And we, when we, If you go to 1 John and you read 1 John, it sounds like John's a little confused. He said, I don't have any new commandment to give you, but an old commandment. Jesus called this a new commandment, but it really wasn't a new commandment. This is the commandment we've had from the beginning to love God, to love one another. John writes it this way in 1 John. if, If you say that you love God, but you don't love your brother, the love of God's not in you. So if you don't love your brother, you can't love God. If you love God, you can't help but love your brother. So grace with love... We can take everything that Paul writes in this letter to the Corinthians and we can bring it all together in this truth of grace with love. Let all that you do be done with love. And Paul says that we are able to do nothing apart from the grace of God. So now, I want you to look at verse 9. Now, he's telling them, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So, I want to talk to you about grace with love in the midst of opportunity and adversity. Paul says, a great and effective door has been opened to me. In other words, there has been been open to me a great opportunity to preach and to minister the gospel in the city of Ephesus. But I have many adversaries. Do you, do you find this to be true, that with great opportunity often comes great adversity? I believe this is true. There's not anything that we are going to do in the kingdom there's no door that God will open for us, that there will not be adversaries and adversity to come against us. Whatever God seeks to do, you can be sure that the enemy will seek to oppose. That's, I think we've all found that to be true, but, but here's what I want you to realize about that whatever god opens for us to do and regardless of what adversaries or what adversity comes to us it is all the grace of god no door is opened apart from the grace of god no adversary comes to us apart from the grace of god now that may sound funny it may sound contrary But we have to believe this is true. We can't believe, or I refuse to believe in a God who is in control and is Lord over almost everything. Did you hear what I said? I refuse to believe in a God who is in control and Lord over almost everything. The Bible doesn't say he is Lord of almost all. Jesus didn't come to his disciples and say, Almost all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. No, he came and he said, All authority. Ephesians says, All things have been placed under his feet. What does that exclude? Nothing. So we don't have an adversary. Who's our adversary? The devil is our adversary. We don't have an adversary that is outside of the control of God. We don't have an adversary. There is not a devil who is outside of the authority and the long arm of God's authority. In the day that the sons of God came before God in heaven and God asked Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? He said, Sure, I have. But you you have him protected you've got this hedge around him you bless him and who wouldn't serve you if you treated everyone the way you treat job so what did god say go for it you can take everything but his life who destroyed who killed Who took away from Job? Well, it was the devil. But yet, it was God who gave him the authority to go and do what the enemy does so well. Paul says, a great and effective door has been opened to me, but there are many adversaries. You might... Be looking at your life today, sitting here thinking about your circumstances, and there might be great adversity that you're facing. I want you to understand that you do not not face that adversity apart from the grace of God. It's not the grace of God in spite of your adversity, it's the grace of God and your adversity. In your adversity, It is adversity by the grace of God. So Paul's encouragement and admonition is that you do all things with love. All things means all things, right? This is not understood and it's certainly not performed apart from God's ever-present grace in our lives. So we don't have a problem attributing our opportunities to God's grace, but what about our adversity? We need to be able to see and to know that God's grace is there even in adversity. And we're, we're even taught in Scripture that sometimes adversity comes to us by God's grace. Now I know this kind of flies in the face of a lot of the popular preaching and teaching and a lot of the books that we like to read. It's like you have adversity and you have God. And God is not associated with adversity. All adversity comes from the evil one. It's not of God. God wants to get rid of all your adversity. But yet that's not really the accurate picture that we see in the scripture. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 6 through 10. And we see a perfect picture of God using adversity. God in his grace giving adversity to one of his greatest servants. Paul, the apostle, in this second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 6, Paul writes this, For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain. This is right after Paul has had this experience where he's been caught up into the third heaven and he's received revelation and knowledge, and seen things that he says not even lawful for me to talk about. And if there's anyone that could boast, I could boast. But he says, I'm not a fool. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Did you catch that? And lest... I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is an example of God in his grace giving adversity to his servant. Not to make life hard for his servant, but to help his servant. Paul said, but for this adversity I would be exalted. He said, but I'm content to let people think what they want to think about me based on how I look and how I sound. It's okay if they think one thing, but the reality may be another. Do you find that hard? Do you ever find out that people think something about you, someone has said something about you, and based on what they've said, you come to realize what others may think about you? Do you feel compelled to go and defend yourself? kind of human nature, isn't it? Paul says, I'm not going to defend myself. It's no point. I don't really care what people think about me. Because what Paul understood most importantly was not what people thought about him, but what God thought about him. He had no control over what people would think about him. So like it or not, I believe in many cases, Paul was content to let people think what they wanted to think. But he knew who he was in Christ. And when I say that, he didn't exalt himself in Christ. He knew who he was in Christ. He knew that apart from Christ, he would be nothing. He knew that apart from Christ, whatever those people would say about him or think about him, the truth would be much, much worse. But by the grace of God, he is who he is. This is what he writes in his letter to the Corinthians. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So that messenger of Satan was given to Paul by God. The adversity this messenger brought was given by the grace of God. And Paul was sustained in his adversity from this messenger... He was sustained by God's all-sufficient grace. Opportunity or adversity, sweet or bitter, easy or hard, we must come to know that all is for the glory of God and that all is by the grace of God. And by His grace, we shall come to know this. This is something that we come to know over the course of our lives. I believe God will reveal this to his children time and time again. And just like a small child that grows up physically and emotionally, as God grows us up, as God matures us spiritually, we should come to know that all is by his grace. Not just the good, but even the bitter. Not just the easy, but even the most difficult. That all is by His grace. And that His grace is sufficient. God will spare nothing for the salvation and sanctification of His people, not even His Son. He will spare not situation or circumstance, whether it be Job or Paul or you or me. He will spare nothing in order that we may come to know His goodness, His grace, and His glory. This is how we are being conformed to the image of the Son. Through the glorious work of the cross that is constantly cutting away and killing our flesh. This is the grace of God even in its most difficult and terrible of circumstances. This is the power of the cross. This is the power of the resurrection of Christ, who by grace makes all things new. In our darkest hour, we have this hope and this promise. He makes all things new. How do I endure the darkness? You endure the darkness by the grace of God. For it is is even the grace that brings the darkness. Every day, I believe God created the world for exactly this reason, the way he created it. I believe every day, God takes us from light to darkness, to light, to darkness. That as we go from light into darkness, we go into darkness with the hope that light will come. With the With the dawning of one day, or the ending of one day, comes the dawning of a new day. With the waning of the light and the coming darkness, there is always the hope that light will break forth again. We live in this cycle, we live in it every day of our lives, and we begin to take it for granted. We just assume it's the way the world works. It's the way the world works because that's the way God created the world to work. Because God has placed around us constant reminders that I am Lord of the light and I am Lord of the dark. David writes in the psalm, Where can I go to escape him? If I go to the lowest hell, he is there. In the darkest dark, he is there. There, In the brightest light, He is there. Why? Because He is Lord of all. He is creator of all. Because all things are by His grace. So we go to bed at night in the darkness and we lay our heads down on our pillow and we trust that we're going to wake up in the morning. We see the sun go down and we... Don't give a second thought as to whether the sun will rise again. We just know it's going to rise again because that's what the sun does. That's what the S-U-N does. That's what the S-O-N does. He rises. That's what we do in him. We are raised. The darkness may come. But with the darkness will come the light. When the light is here, know that you will experience darkness. But we always have this hope that the light will always break forth. And there is coming a day when there will no longer be any darkness. It is by His grace. It is by His grace that He makes all things new again. So we have grace with love in the midst of our opportunities and in the midst of our adversities. Paul in verse 13 writes this, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. When we read that in verse 14, let all that you do be done with love, we can hearken back to chapter 13 when he's talking about how we operate in the body and how we operate in in our giftings and how we operate in our places. But when he makes this statement, let all that you do be done with love, that's an all-encompassing statement. It's not just... In terms of standing, watching, being brave, and being strong, he says, Let all that you do, that means not just everything I've written to you in this letter, but understand, let all that you do be done with love. We're commanded to be watchful, to keep awake, to be vigilant. We're commanded to be standing fast in the faith. That word standing fast means to be stationary, to persevere. It's a picture of not retreating, but standing firm in the faith. Not compromising, not breaking, not shrinking back, but to stand firm in the faith. We're commanded to be brave. This is an interesting word in the King James he says quit like men. Not quit like stop give up. It's an an old ancient word that means to act like, to be like. What this literally says when your Bible may say be brave it literally says be like men. What does that tell us? it tells me that there's a god ordained a god ordained way a man is to conduct himself he's to conduct himself bravely in terms of our faith this applies not 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 just to gender it applies to all male or female it doesn't matter in the faith we are to be like men we are to be brave We're to stand firm. We're to be ready to stand and not back down in terms of our faith and our trust and our witness of Jesus Christ. We're commanded to be strong, to be empowered, to be increasing in vigor, to be strengthened. All of these give a picture of not something that happens once, one and done. This Gives a picture of a continuous thing that's taking. I am to continuously be watchful. I am to continuously stand fast in the faith. I am to continuously be being brave. I am to continuously be being made strong. We are commanded to let all that we do be done with love. Love. Being watchful, being steadfast, being brave, being strong is not contrary to love. It's because we have confused and misappropriated our terms in our modern culture. So we equate love with weakness and limp-wristedness and giving in and compromising and just laying down and letting whatever be shall be. That's not what love is. That certainly wasn't the love of Christ. Christ endured the most horrific and the most horrendous hardships. He endured the greatest opposition that anyone will ever face. He endured it for love, he endured it by love. So don't equate love with weakness. Because love doesn't mean weakness. And though love can be soft and gentle, it will never compromise the truth. It will never back down. It will never be cowardly. It will never give up. It will never be weak and fail because love never fails. And how does love never fail? Love never fails because well one because God is love. But how does love never fail in us? How does your love not fail? Even when your love wanes, even when you don't feel very loving, even when it seems like your love has failed, you know why your love doesn't fail? Because of the grace of God. Because God in His grace will not ultimately allow your love to fail. Not because you're really good at loving. Not because you're a really strong person. Not because you've done really good at praying and learning and memorizing Scripture and I'm just really a committed person. No, not because of anything of that sort. Your love ultimately will never fail because of the grace of God. So there is grace with love. Not only to watch, to stand, to be brave, to be strong, but, but to be able to do all that we do with love. We can only do that by the grace of God. Then Paul goes on and he says in verse 15, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, and that you also... Submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Now I want to touch on this for a moment because it's interesting in our culture. You know, as as I read about the church, trends in the church, and you don't even have to read about it, you just see it. You see that church is really falling out of vogue with a lot of people, even with Christians. Christians, you hear Christians say this all the time. I don't need to go to church. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a man of God. I've got my own relationship with God. I don't need to go to a building on Sunday morning to worship God. I can do that right here in my home. I can do it out fishing, hunting. Matter of fact, I can do it better out there because I don't have all those people distracting me. This has become a very popular sentiment. But yet, when we read the Scripture, we really... This is so contrary to what the Scripture teaches us. And so Paul, in the end of his letter here, he urges the church. He says, brethren, I urge you that you also submit to such. To who? To these men and others like them that have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Verse 18, for they refreshed me in my spirit and yours therefore acknowledge such men you now why is this important i believe this is important because once again there is a there is a way that god created his church his body we see this in the way he created our physical bodies and in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in this letter, Paul uses the physical body as an example to help us understand how the body of Christ is to function. And we would all, you know, I mean, who who, who would just, if we were going to have free amputations today, who would be first in line to volunteer? Free amputations won't cost you a thing. Uh, We'll even provide the pain medication. You won't feel a thing. Promise. Well, you pro- probably not too many people are going to take that, are they? Even though it would be free. How about if we pay you a little bit of money for some amputations today? Probably not going to have any takers. And so Paul uses this analogy of the body. It was, it was as ridiculous in his day as, as that, what I just said, is, seems Ridiculous. Well, of course we don't want to have our body parts amputated. We want all of our body parts to be together. So Paul uses this analogy of the body to help us understand the importance of unity. So he urges these believers in Corinth to submit to these men who have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. To acknowledge them. Even as we are commanded to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, Paul writes in Ephesians 5.21. Now, coming from me, your pastor, this may sound a little self-serving, right? But the the point is, this isn't isn't about me. This is about God's Word. This is about the Scripture. Because ultimately, this is where it comes from. It comes from God's word, his scripture. Paul's urging to submit to these men of God who worked and labored in the gospel and to acknowledge such men was for the benefit and the building up of the whole body. Paul wasn't telling the church to put these men on a pedestal, but to submit to their authority to labor in the gospel and the teaching of the scripture in the ministry of the saints. You shouldn't You shouldn't believe what I say because I say it and I'm the pastor. You should believe what I say if I'm teaching you from the authority of God's word. And the authority to teach God's word, the Bible teaches us, doesn't come from just men. It's not that I just decided one day I think I want to be a pastor... I mean, if you really knew me and knew my story, you'd know that that was not even a remote possibility in my mind. And so Ephesians 4.11, for instance, teaches that these gifts and these callings were given to the church by Jesus. This is what Paul teaches in Ephesians. They were given to the church by Jesus. Why? For the building up of the body, for the... Equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So why in an army are you supposed to obey your commanders? Or on a police force. You know, I'm a chaplain for the police department. So they have commanders and they've got, you know, a hierarchy, a structure there. Why should the officer... Obey the corporal. Why should the corporal obey the sergeant? Why should the sergeant obey his commander? There's an authority structure. It's not because the commander's better than the sergeant. The commander has a different position. Or if you will, he has a different calling. Well, who determines those callings? Well, God determines those callings. And so Paul is just in a very practical way telling the church here, To submit to those men that have devoted themselves to the ministry, to the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge what? Acknowledge their calling. Acknowledge that their calling is from God, that God has called some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We know we're not all apostles. We know we're not all prophets, right? Paul writes this in this very same letter. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Do all have the same gifts? No. Be content to be who God's created you to be in the body. Sometimes, I think, I ask myself, God, why did you make me a pastor? And God has to remind me, be content with who I've made you to be in the body. So Paul was not telling the church to put these men up on a pedestal, but to recognize who they are in the body and who they are for the body. He was urging them to acknowledge them, to recognize their calling, and to support them spiritually and materially. Your giving allows me to do what I do. I can go to the hospital mid-morning on Friday because you make that possible. It wasn't always possible for me to do that when I was bivocational. Now, by the grace of God, I'm able to do that. By the grace of God, I'm able to spend a lot of time in the Scripture There is grace with love to submit and to acknowledge, to allow those within the body to function as God has called them to function. Paul writes in this letter, Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Ultimately, it is by the grace of God that I am able to live by the gospel. It is by the grace of God that you are able to contribute to that, to give to that. It's by the grace of God that we all are able to do all things. So Paul goes on in his letter, and he concludes, and he gets down to the end Let me read to you from verse twenty. He says, All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss, the salutation with my own hand, Paul. Now Paul didn't write this letter, he dictated this letter because Paul was almost blind. We know that. And then verse the last three verses. Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O come, Lord Jesus. O come, Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. There is grace with love in all things, the blessing and the curse. Look at these two verses Leads 22 and 23. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed, O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul, like Jesus, leaves no gray area for us. Do you guys see this? He doesn't leave a gray area. We either love him or not. Those who do not love him are cursed. Those that do love him, love him only by grace. We can't look at anyone who does not love God and say, man, you are really stupid for not loving God. I feel so fortunate that I was smart enough to love God. Now, we're like that Pharisee who's going, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this publican. Now, what we do is look at that person who doesn't love God, who's cursing God, and we say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace that allowed me to love you. That really should be the response. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Paul writes this, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. It's the same word. It's a word called anathema. What verse 22 says, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be anathema, maranatha. Maranatha means, "Oh, come, Lord. Anathema means you're cursed, be cursed. And so in this letter, in the middle of this letter, Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus anathema, accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't my bright idea or your bright idea. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You know what that is? That's grace. Our natural condition is calling Jesus cursed. Only by God's grace can we say Jesus is Lord. Because only by the Holy Spirit can we do that. Luke 11:23 Jesus says he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. So we're either for him or against him. This is true whether a person realizes it or not. So we say well atheists are against him but agnostics are neutral. No. That's deception from the wicked heart of man. We just want to to create a third category and say, well, I'm not an atheist. No, I'm not a believer. I'm just an agnostic. I'm neutral. No, there's no such thing as neutral. Jesus didn't say you're either for me, neutral, or against me. He said you're either for me or against me. Neutral is a creation that's a figment of our imagination that we have created from the vanity of our own mind. You should just... Wipe the word agnostic out of your vocabulary because there really is no such thing as an agnostic. It doesn't matter whether they don't know whether they believe in God or not. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. It has nothing to do with their moral character. It has nothing to do with how well they manage their sinfulness. It has nothing to do with their standing in the community. It has nothing to do with any of that. Paul says, if you don't love God, Jesus, you are accursed. He was a hard dude, wasn't he? All who are against him, all who do not love him are accursed. Paul is affirming the words of Christ that there is no middle ground. Those who do love him only do so by the grace of God. Therefore, the prayer that the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you is offered to these saints. Why? Because Paul understood that all things are by his grace. The affirmation of Paul's love for them in Christ not only reveals the heart of a true shepherd of the sheep, it reveals Paul's acknowledgement that the love he has for them is in Christ. In other words, the source and the object. Of his love is in Christ. The source and the object of Paul's love is in Christ. He says, For those who don't love Christ, let them be accursed. Sounds hard. But Paul knew it wasn't his ability to convince them to believe. It wasn't his ability to persuade them to believe. Paul knew that the only way they would believe is by the grace of God. The only way they could say Jesus is Lord is by the Holy Spirit. What was he? He was the messenger. How did he deliver the message? He delivered it in love. He delivered it bravely, strongly, uncompromisingly. Vigilantly, he delivered the message. But he knew that the message, it was the message, not the messenger that would ultimately bring them to faith. Those that do not love Jesus, let them be accursed. But for you, I pray the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he affirms his love. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Understanding that the source and the object of his love is in Christ. It doesn't mean that we go around cursing the world. That's not what Paul was doing. Paul was saying the world is cursed because they do not love Christ. Anyone in the world that does not love Christ, let them be accursed because they are. Now I think what this mamsy pamsy concept of love and this wishy-washy third-gear theology that we want to create today lends itself To people going to hell much more readily than if we just really understood the truth the way the truth is. That there is no middle ground. That we can't say, well, they're almost there. They're almost a believer because, you know, they went from being an atheist to an agnostic. No, Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. Paul said, if you don't love Jesus, you are cursed. We have this third gear this this third category mentality and it doesn't exist anywhere if we would look at the world and understand that it doesn't matter what they say it doesn't matter how how close we think they are to believing but they just don't quite believe and well you know well maybe you know oh maybe jesus was a historical figure you know oh well who cares If we believe Jesus was a historical figure, who cares? It doesn't matter. Do you believe he's Lord? Do you believe he's the only Savior? Do you love him? If you don't love him, you're cursed. If we understood that truth, we would look at the world a little bit differently and maybe feel a little more desperation in terms of making Christ known through our lives of communicating the message more clearly not just with our words but with our living that the world would be able to look at us and say i i i think they're really stupid but you know that person is really believes in Christ i mean you know gosh who believes in some mythological figure like that but you know what i'll give it to them they have great faith The world should be able to see a difference between us. Instead of us trying to become more and more like the world to draw the world in, all we're doing is making them feel more comfortable in their sin. Because the Bible says there is no third category here. If they don't love Jesus, they're cursed. And the only way they're going to love Jesus is by the grace of God. And so one of the most important things I believe that we can begin to do is to begin to recognize in our own lives that we can say like the Apostle Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. I know what I was. I know what I'm capable of in my flesh and in my carnal mind, in my carnal nature. But I know that I am what I am now by the grace of God. We need to all recognize that. That it is only, only, only by God's grace. You're going to make it by the grace of God. In your darkest hour, you're going to make it by the grace of God. In your most impossible situation, you're going to make it By the grace of God. Well, we can all believe that, right? But can you believe that maybe God allowed you to come into that darkness or that impossibility? That it was his grace that allowed you to come to that place? Because there is something that you can't see, that you can't know right now. But there is something in his sovereign grace that he is doing even through the darkness, even through the most impossible of circumstances. Can you believe that? Can you believe that God, even in his grace, would work in those ways? I want to submit to you this morning that he absolutely does. And this is how Paul can say, we glory even in our tribulation. Because I know that what I am going through, the, the small, momentary affliction that I go through in this life is creating in me a more eternal weight of glory. Modern translation, Paul says, The very difficult things I go through in this life, I go through them knowing that God, by his grace, is working something glorious in me whether I understand it or not, whether I see it or not, whether I realize it or not, I know this is true. Do you know this is true, church? You must come to know this. This is exactly what I mean when I say God will spare nothing for the salvation and the sanctification of his people. He will spare you no circumstance if that circumstance will contribute to you're knowing his goodness, his grace, and his glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us see that all things are by your grace. Help us to be a people of faith that are being watchful, that are standing fast, that are being brave, that are being made strong. Help us to be a people Who do all things with love. Father we acknowledge today that we need your help. God we cannot do this in ourselves. We are incapable. For these and all things are only by your grace. Lord give us a revelation of your grace working in our lives. Whether that be in the blessing in the bitter, in the easy, or in the hard. Lord, help us to see and help us to know that it is all by your grace. Lord, help us in this, not just for our own peace of mind, not just so that we can endure through impossible or seemingly impossible situations. Lord, we pray this today that, that Lord, you would grant us this, that you would continuously work in us even when we are resisting that work. Because you have saved us and you have called us to be a people to bring glory to your name. And Lord, you will be glorified in us. You will be glorified in your church in all things. We trust that. We place our hope in that. And we thank you, Lord, that by your grace, we are a people never, never, never without hope. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you go from this place in his grace. I pray that you go in hope. I pray that you go in your circumstances, whatever they are, whether they be bitter or whether they be sweet. I pray that you go in his grace and know that his grace is sufficient for all. I pray that you would go knowing that all things are only by his grace and that in his grace he reveals himself to us, makes his name known, makes his ways known. I pray that we will go and that we will make his name known, not because... We are sufficient, but because His grace is sufficient. Amen. Let's all stand. Go make His name known. Consider that wherever you are, whatever you may be going through, it is in, it is by His grace. When you go out these doors and you encounter people in the world, I want you to stop seeing them in some ambiguous third category. I want you to see them for who they truly are. Apart from Christ, they are cursed. And there's not anything you can do to pull them out of the curse. There's not anything you can do to deliver them. The only thing you can do is to let Christ in you be known. In every way possible, let Christ be known. Let them see in you as you walk through the valley of shadow. Let them see you go through it in the grace of God. Let them see you trust not in your own power, not in your own ability, but let them see you trust in the grace of a good God. Let them know that it's not anything of yourself. It's not anything that you have done. It is only by his Grace, whatever you are, it is by the grace of God. Let them know that everyone has a past, but through faith in Christ, by the grace of God, everyone has a good hope and a good future. Amen.